I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to a bonus Wiki Shuffle episode. You can tell it's a bonus episode because I, Philip Sharman, am doing the talking. That's how we differentiate because we have formats. And for bonus mm-hmm. episodes, I talk, but it's the same old crew, and I'm joined by Jack. Hello. And Chris. Hello. And so for this bonus episode, which we've been plugging for the last couple of weeks on the podcast, we have thrown the subject matter out to you, the audience, and we're very grateful for the suggestions that we've had. And off the back of that, we've chosen one each, and we're going to do our normal wiki shuffle treatment to some articles that have been chosen by you instead of us yeah and it was a very difficult task it was um, to narrow these down because we had some great suggestions and i'm gutted that we haven't been able to do some of them but um maybe we'll hold them back and, and do them another time mm-hmm. we can do that yeah there's some there's some gold in there it's if, almost as if you know writing content and actually deciding what you want to discuss is a more effective way than just using random chance mm. almost Almost. Not actually. Obviously I mean, not there's actually. There's definitely more work involved. In fact, what we've actually done by doing this bonus is take the one job of pressing a button away mm-hmm. and giving us even less things to do. Yeah, that's true. Maybe yeah. we'll do this from now on. Mm. Uh, in fact, the suggestions were so good that we've decided we're going to do a second bonus episode because there's one article in particular that all three of us love. Um, and so we're going to do that. Oh, we're going to release that maybe next week. Soon. We'll release it soon. Yeah. Um, and it will just be focused on that article because it's a it's a big one. But we won't re- reveal what that is just yet. Secrets. Oh, suspense. Mm. So if your article isn't picked this episode, it might be the special one next week. So I've picked one by one of our Facebook friends, Amy Saxby, and it is Round the Bend, which is a children's TV show from the late 1980s, and it appealed to me because it sounds fucking mental. <laughs> so Initially, I thought this was Round the Twist. Yeah. But that's a different thing entirely, that different. apparently. That's also mental, but... Because we, m- me and you don't remember Round the Bend, do we? Phil, no. you, you have a vague recollection. I do. It was on ITV and I was very much a CBBC child. Of course. Surprising nobody. <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember its existence. Yeah. Um, and I remember it being quite fun as well. Yeah, it sounds good. So, you go, Phil. Round the Bend. Round the Bend was a satirical British children's television series which ran on children's ITV for three series from 1989 to 1991. The show was a hat-trick production for Yorkshire Television. The show was later repeated on Channel 4, the Children's Channel and Nickelodeon UK and was nominated for an RTS award. It's quite prestigious. I didn't realise it was a hat-trick production, um, which does make sense because I do remember it being 
really quite mm. edgy. Yeah, they do. Um, have I got news for you? Stuff like that. Yeah, is that correct? Oh, that's the one with the bunny in the box. Uh-huh. Hat makes more sense. It does. Yes. <laughs> For some reason, in the world we live in, a bunny being in a yeah. hat makes more sense than a bunny hat being trick. in a box. Hat trick, not hat box. Yeah. Well, That's without true. cultural reference, that makes less sense. Actually, to give you an idea of how edgy a company they are and how really they're not focused on children's TV whatsoever, they produce Have I Got News For You, Room 101, Whose Line Is It Anyway, um, Face Jacker, The Armstrong and Miller Show, Drop the Dead Donkey, Father Ted, Game On, Harry Enfield, uh, Outnumbered, basically That's all everything. Yeah, all sort of primetime or late night comedy outings. So this is quite an unusual feat for their um, production company. But then in 1989, they decided what they really wanted to do was create a children's TV show from the team behind the comic Oink. I don't remember. I don't know. Was Oink like a kid's viz? <laughs> I think I think <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> in its style and it's... Just, yeah, but a kid's viz is just viz without all the rude stuff and therefore it's just the Beano. Apparently in Oink, featured artists and writers included um, Private Eyes, David Haldane, um, Mark Lard-Riley and Charlie Brooker as well. Charlie Brooker's done yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, he has. Um, oh, and Chris, in fact, Chris Donald from um, from Viz as well. So, yeah, it does seem that way. It seems like quite a satirical. This sounds like it would actually comic. be quite good now. Yeah, bring that back. Well, from the first description. I don't think the Tories would let there be a comic called Oink anymore. No, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> so it was a puppet-based programme, and the puppets were made by the team who made the puppets for Spitting Image. Round the Bend was a satirical parody of Saturday morning magazine shows with a host providing linking material between cartoons, music videos and news sections, albeit set in a sewer. (laughs) (laughs) The anarchic tone of the show and its parody cartoons was similar to that of Viz. The animated segments were done by Aardman Animations. Yeah. Were they going in? I thought that was... Yeah, it must have been quite early, I think. Um, Everyone loves Aardman, don't they? I think so. Wallace and Gromit. Oh, every, everything every Aardman film that comes out is brilliant yep I would agree with the, that Shaun the Sheep it's so much fun yeah Obviously, that's 27 year old man watching Shaun the Sheep I had a great time but I've heard that it's one of those things like horrible histories that parents love as well yeah it's which is brilliant. the mark of good kids TV yeah. I think um, yeah I, I'm sure we could do an episode entirely on Aardman animations but uh, yeah they're good guys this sounds great I'm, I'm so going to so good. pick this up mm. The title of the show is a double meaning. It is a reference to a toilet U-bend with the opening titles beginning with the camera being flushed down a toilet and ended up in a sewer. It was also a popular saying at the time to describe someone who was insane. All sounds good to me. (laughs) So let's move on to the regular cast. Doc Croc was the show's host and a temperamental, rude and overbearing crocodile. He ran the operations of the sewer and took command of the rats who worked unpaid for him. Sounds like a bit of a dick. Slave labour. Yeah. Good start. Jemima Wellington Green, the cleverest of the three rats, she was often sarcastic and miserable about the fact she worked in a sewer with no hope of a boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) She spoke with a posh accent, a parody of Janet Street Porter. God. (laughs) 
from anything. No wonder she had no for a boyfriend. Being famous, even slightly famous, no one's going to suggest that Janet Street Porter is the world's most famous woman, but no. to be famous enough that somebody takes the trouble to parody you with a puppet rat that <laughs> must be odd a puppet rat with no hope of a boyfriend yeah so you're going through your life just living it because you know janet street porter she has to eat three meals a day and you know I go think. to the toilet and do all the things that human beings have to yes, do let's all take a minute and imagine <laughs> janet street porter <laughs> going to the poo. toilet <laughs> I, don't, the bend. I don't imagine she does have three meals a day maybe three snakes so she's going about, she's, <laughs> quite a good impression <laughs> so she's just doing her washing one day and happens to put the telly on and there is a puppet rat doing mm. an impression of her oh, yeah. i can't imagine what that might feel like i can imagine she'll go oh, i'm not really surprised <laughs> 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 why Why is Janet Street Porter? Oh, she uh, she's a journalist um, by trade, I believe. She was, wasn't she? Yeah. Um, so just just write. Don't be on our TV screens. There you go, Janet, if you're listening. She'll never stop. Stay I think home. she's in her late 800s now, so I don't know how long they've got that. <laughs> before she has to crawl back into yeah. whatever place she's slivered from. I don't know why I'm so mean. mean. I'd say this, this <laughs> is probably quite a lot worse than being parodied a kid's TV show <laughs> as a rat. A sexless rat, yeah. I, I, don't, know. Mean. I, don't, I don't know where that comes from. I don't, Janet I, Street Port- I don't know. It's just, I don't know that much about her. Sorry, hmm. Janet. I'm not, though. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> you feel like in some way she deserves it. Yeah. I don't. Huh. That I, says more about me than Janet. It does. It does, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's true. Vaudeville Vince Vermin. We do love alliteration. I'm never gonna, never gonna tire of it. Vaudeville Vince Vermin was a Cockney rat and the resident comic who always tried to see the bright side of every situation. He hosted his own joke segment of the show. The jokes were intentionally bad, which was the reason for them being funny. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> Why are you looking at me? I'm, I'm looking at us collectively. Okay, all right. At the end of each segment, Doc Croc would ask an opinion poll, um, a talking barber's poll, very clever, (laughs) what he thought of them, and the poll would say, rubbish. There was at one point a talking piece of furniture, the armchair critic. Ah, very clever. clever. That's clever. Mm. That's clever. And the third rat was Lucetti Bruchetti, an Italian rat and the show's resident artist, not as intelligent as the other rats, and usually the rat the doc used to take most of his problems out on. On occasion, the cast would be plagued by a shade-wearing teddy bear, which, despite its diminutive size, would inflict great physical beatings to Doc Croc and the rest of the crew. The cast was also visited by the small teddy's much larger father. Other non-regular cast members were often satirical parodies of real people or existing TV shows, such as a music video segment featuring Michael Jack Dung, Elton the John, (laughs) I don't know why Elton the John's good though, Kylie Manure, and Jason Dungovan. Ah, they're all shit. They've used dung twice there. It's not, you know. It's a good one though, isn't it, dung? Elton the John is just pretty good. There's there's quite a lot of euphemisms that you can't use on a children's TV show. Mm. Um, Uh, Yeah, yeah. it's clever then. Michael Jack shit wouldn't have been okay. No. But I think Jason Dungovan is is very clever. I do like that. Yeah. Um, Each was a hand... (laughs) Very very clever. It is very clever. (laughs) Each... 
Each was a hand puppet designed to look like a pile of manure, but with a mouth that would sing along to parodied versions of pop songs. In the case of Elton the John, the puppet was a singing toilet. <laughs> quite, if I was Jason Donovan, who's pretty harmless, I suppose. I'm not, I'm yeah, it's not really like Janet Street Porter. Not like Janet. No, I don't care. No. I've got nothing against <laughs> but, Donovan. But even so, Jay's not a fairly ordinary bloke. It's got to be odd for you to be, you know. Yeah, you've got this pop career out of nowhere for no good reason whatsoever, for and now you're being parodied by a, a heap of manure. Him and Kylie Manure singing especially for poo. Eh? Ah, that's good. Not it's probably very good. clever. That's what I would say. Very not just good. funny, but very clever. Very clever. Uh-huh. There was a news segment, John Potato's News Round, <laughs> a parody of John Craven's News Round, but presented by a potato. <laughs> the sports section was presented by David Colmole, a glove puppet of a mole who wore round glasses and had a voice very similar to David Coleman. <laughs> so, John very, Potato's News Round. It's all, just that bit there, it's, just, it's all very astute in stars, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, very surreal comedy. Go a little bit beyond surreal. It's just stupid. Vegetables was a parody of Neighbours. All the parts were played by Vegetables with Australian accents. (laughs) Really got someone against Jason Donovan. (laughs) The the, the writers' room when they came up with that. I've got an idea. (laughs) (laughs) I got gather round. (laughs) Wee Man and the Masters of the Looniverse was a parody of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, but with a Wee-Man and a Looniverse. Toilet humour. It's still good. It's still relevant. (laughs) It shouldn't be. It's just so stupid. Teenage Mutant Ninja Toilets. Oh, that's not... (laughs) (laughs) They're not even trying. And yet it's... Gold. <laughs> a cartoon parody of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles using animated toilet characters lampooning the turtles. And it would appear that they really got the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in their sights because also there was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Teddies, another cartoon parody of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but using teddy bears. Not as funny because there's no toilets or shit involved. No, that's rubbish. This one doesn't have toilets or shit in it either, but is genius. Old age useless nitwit tortoises. <laughs> <laughs> I know the turtles are really big in the late eighties, but three parodies in the same show. Yeah, it's quite a lot of turtle stuff. I, I'd have, I'd have called build. it the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Heads. Teenage uh, Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay. Not as good, but yes, okay. acceptable. Clever, but not very clever. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris, quickly. Yeah. What would they be called? What are their names? Quick. What in real life? In this. Don't do this. Come to on, me, quick! This no, I'm not doing it. Well, Raphael Smell. There you go. I was going to go with Guffael. Uh, well, we just got lots of Guffael <laughs> works. Um, Come on, Chris. You know all about I, the turtles. I, I do like this. Right, there's Raphael's red. Donatello's yeah. purple. Yeah, Michelangelo. Michelangelo could be sh- shite in that. No. See, see, this is why it's difficult. Yeah. It is difficult. I write the show. No, we couldn't work on this. We're not smart enough. <laughs> Who's the other turtle? Oh my god, I'm just going to Google it. Donatello, Michelangelo, Leonardo, and Raphael. What? What? We already said Raphael. There's only four of them. Yeah, we haven't said four, have we? Donatello, Michelangelo, Leonardo. 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 Well, Leonardo's one we hadn't had. There you go. Leonardo. (laughs) Leonardo poo. 
So what we came to the conclusion here is that we can't write this show. We can't. Although, this is difficult. <laughs> we criticised them for their lack of writing down. It's actually not. It that looks easy. very easy, but it's deceptively no. difficult. Yeah. Attack of the Atomic Banana, a B movie serial parody with a fifty-foot banana rampaging through <laughs> New York City. King Kong made a cameo, and the banana problem was solved by a group of teenagers <laughs> in a similar style to Scooby Doo. This section was fictionally produced by Stubby Broccoli and, <laughs> and Samuel J. Greengrocer. <laughs> These Stubby segments were made broccoli. with stop-motion animation, and I'd quite like to look at them. Oh, I'm definitely getting back to this. Stubby Broccoli? Like, his name's Cubby Broccoli anyway, so it's not like... It, it seems like the, the part of that that you should be parodying is the, is the broccoli. That's the bit you should change, but... No. That's too easy. <laughs> it's all too easy. Thunderpants parody of Thundercats. It was all very, very now, wasn't it? Yeah. It was very 1989. These are the things that that were significant and they were putting them in their sights. Transformaloids. Sounds like some hemorrhoid cream. It does. A parody of Transformers. Oh, I didn't see that one. Featuring octopus slime, the octopus-headed transforming robot who on at least one occasion went up against his arch enemy, Armadillotron. Oh, yeah. Nice. Hmm. Doesn't sound any more ridiculous than actual Transformers. No. That's, the, that's their problem there. If the thing you're parodying is so preposterous, this is what the problem is with Donald Trump. You can't parody <laughs> the thing he's saying because when you just read out him verbatim, it sounds as ridiculous as anything you could possibly parody him with. Yeah. It's a good way of making yourself immune, I suppose. Um, actually, to be fair, he would fit in exactly with this kind of show. Donald Trump. Yes. He would. <laughs> he would. And Botman, a parody of Batman, with the lead character having an abnormally huge bottom. <laughs> Imagine having an abnormally huge bottom and your parents being dead. <laughs> no wonder you fight crime. <laughs> other segments, the other segments included the son of, the return of, and the revenge of the false teeth from beyond the stars. <laughs> Another B movie parody featuring a character named Roger Prentice, the apprentice dentist. <laughs> a crossover between the atomic banana ensued, entitled False Teeth from Beyond the Stars meets the Atom Banana. Ooh. Tommy's Magic Time Trousers, an <laughs> Animation. Best one. Best one yet. Tommy's Magic Time Trousers, an animation about a boy who can travel through time whenever he drops his trousers. <laughs> Many trouser puns were used, such as in the time travel sequence, Tommy would say, the flies are the limit. Oh, good. <laughs> and the trousers would reply, brace yourself, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's just unrealistic. The segment always ended with the trousers saying, if only he knew, Tommy, if only he knew. Now that's a Marvel film. <laughs> they would do well. It's no more stupid. <laughs> it's not. Um, and there we go. There was a computer game for the ZX Spectrum that followed. Um, it was obviously done well then. It was well received. And a magazine TV special um, sort of annual thing. And... There we are. Thank you, Amy. Yeah, that that's brilliant. Brilliant. wonderful. I'm going to uh, I'm going to watch that. My pick is from Pete Gaskell. Thank you, Pete. Um, and it's ferret legging. Ooh. Which um, I'm legging guessing you would have heard of, of. You'd have seen it. Um, no, not a legging made of ferrets. That would be weird. They're kind of the no. right shape for it. If you were to just yeah. hollow out a ferret, it would make quite an efficient. We're not really hollowing out ferrets. Technically, what other boots are. So. 
Yeah. Is it? You know all about the manufacturing of Ugg boots. I think that's how it works. Yeah. Well, um, I've picked this because I am very immature. Really? And it's funny. Okay. So, Phil, off you go. Ferret legging. Ferret legging is an endurance test or stunt in which ferrets are trapped in trousers worn by a participant. Also known as put them down and ferret down trousers. <laughs> I like ferret down trousers, that's my favourite. <laughs> it's good. It seems to have been popular among coal miners in Yorkshire. Oh. Contestants put live ferrets inside their trousers. The winner is the one who is the last to release the animals. The world record is... Seven weeks. <laughs> See, I, I, I'm quite disappointed by this world record because I feel like you should be able to make... You should get to a point where the ferret just has a nap. I'd have thought... If you can get it down there long enough, it gets a bit bored. It's quite comfy and warm but, in there. Yeah, but in the, the gusset, same time, have a nap. It could be there for weeks. Don't you, say gusset. <laughs> if you <laughs> put me inside the leg of a Yorkshireman and told me I couldn't be released until he decided, I'd panic. Uh, initially, yes. <laughs> so, I might bite. <laughs> I might claw. Mm. Yeah. So, that, uh, so, yeah, endurance. Five hours and 30 minutes That's is the record. too long. <laughs> Sounds doable. It does. It sounds really doable. And this is the kind of thing... You, anyone that's engaging in this kind of activity to begin with is a bit mental. Yeah. And the thing about or people Yorkshire. who... Uh, uh, yeah, the Venn diagram is practically <laughs> a circle in that scenario. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, you, you're the kind of person that is willing to put a ferret down your trousers. You're a bit mental. And the thing about people who are a bit mental is that they want to be the most mental. Mm. And you'd have thought that the competition element of this would have pushed some people to have gone for a lot longer than five hours and 30 minutes. I think you should try it. That doesn't, Do you I'm think not it's so of, easy? I, no, I didn't. No, I'm because not one I, of these people. I seem to think that that's a really hard... I, I don't think I could do that. Because ferrets, in my mind, are vicious little bastards. Yeah, I'm guessing they With, do bite. No, I, d I think they're quite friendly. I had a friend at school who kept ferrets, and they were friendly. They were nice. They Did covered in scratches. Trousers? They didn't all those fingers. trousers. To have all the fingers? He had all of his fingers, yeah. Okay, well, maybe I'm wrong. I don't want to be introduced to a ferret. That's what I'm saying. Don't bring a ferret in. Okay, I haven't got one to bring in. Okay. Um, there'd be a natural problem um, of recreating this challenge with the fashion of the day in that a pair of skinny jeans is not going to accommodate a ferret. No. It's just not going to. <laughs> ferret legging may have originated during the time when only the relatively wealthy in England were allowed to keep animals for hunting, forcing poachers to hide their illicit ferrets in their trousers. Following a... <laughs> <laughs> that, that chain of events. Barry, they're coming. <laughs> I have a feeling that that is simply not true. It sounds like nonsense, doesn't it? I took ferrets. <laughs> Following a brief resurgence in popularity during the 1970s, it has been described as a dying sport. Although a it's national not a sport. <laughs> it's not a sport. It's not a sport. Although a national ferret legging event was held in Richmond, Virginia, from 2003 to 2009. So that the Americans are only just getting on to the ferret legging. Always behind. <laughs> yeah. I learned, so they ran this this event from 2003 to 2009. I like the idea that in the run-up to the 2010 event, they had a committee event, and they all just sat around, I can't be bothered this year. <laughs> no, fair enough. And then they all just went their separate ways and never spoke of it again. Yeah. I think, yeah. The ferrets have had enough. <laughs> it's, it's a really, it's a really cruel enough. sport. The ferret does not want to be there. How do you know? I'm pretty sure. You've never even met a ferret. Well, I don't want to either. <laughs> You've never met a ferret. I've never met one ferret. Not in the wild. 
And in captivity? Not in captivity. <laughs> so you could have just said I've never met a ferret. I'm just, yeah, I probably could have. <laughs> <laughs> Description and rules. How can you say it's not a sport, Chris? It's got rules. Lots of things have rules. True. Life has rules, but it's not a sport. <laughs> Life is a sport. Life is a game. In the sport of ferret legging, competitors tie their trousers at the ankles before placing two ferrets inside. And two? Two ferrets? Yeah, one for each leg. Makes sense. Whee! <laughs> Party time. That's what I imagine it's like. Placing two <laughs> ferrets inside and securely fastening their belts to prevent the ferrets from escaping. Each competitor then stands in front of the judges for as long as he can. Competitors cannot be drunk or drugged, nor can the ferrets be sedated. Fair enough. In addition, competitors are not allowed to wear underwear beneath Whoa. their trousers. Holy moly! Which must allow the ferrets there as well. free, <laughs> free access from one leg to the other. And the ferrets must have a full set of teeth that must not have been filed or otherwise blunted. Oh. Those ferrets are going to be furious, and they're going to... You would think so. ...trump away at your knackers like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> the I, think, I think if you stood in front of people... Yeah. And put an animal down your pants now, these days, you'd be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. But in the 70s, it was just a normal sport. A lot of, that happens with a lot of things. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> the 70s were a very different time. Yeah. Bill? Carry on. As official representative of the 70s, yeah. given that when I was born, the 70s had got less than 50 days to run. <laughs> yeah, but you packed in a lot I of dirty fiddling <laughs> into those 50 days. <laughs> the sport... The sport... Not sport. The sport is said to involve very little native skill. Fair enough. <laughs> Simply an ability to have your tool bitten and not care. <laughs> That's a quote. It's going to appeal to a certain type of person. Who? What do you win? Is it say what you win? Uh, Nothing. Pride. Yeah. (laughs) The former world champion Reg Meller is credited with instituting the practice of wearing white trousers in ferret legging matches Ah. to better display the blood from the wounds caused by the animals. Competitors can attempt from outside their trousers to dislodge the ferrets, but as the animals can maintain a strong hold for long periods, their removal can be difficult. That's why you shouldn't put them there. The ferrets are occasionally put inside the contestants' shirts in addition to their trousers, and attempts to introduce a female version of the sport, ferret busting, in which female contestants introduce ferrets down their blouses, proved unsuccessful. (laughs) I wonder why. Yeah, they would. They could get hold of a nipple and really go to town. I think they can. And that there. somehow is worse than a todger. Um, yeah, they're, they're all they're all equally bad. I think. Yeah. That's my, my response. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't turn up. I wouldn't get any tickets. So I'm saying, Talking, I wouldn't pay to see. <laughs> Talking of blood, it's unrelated. Um, oh. I woke up this morning. And you drank a pint of it. <laughs> It's a mid-morning snack. <laughs> I woke up this morning and my duvet was like, there's loads of blood. Were you found? How <laughs> much is loads? Like a, like a patch. There was a patch. Were and you... I was looking, I was like inspecting my heavenly body to try and see if there was any holes Fer- or ferrets. anything. <laughs> or any ferrets. But it's like we were a ferret last night. <laughs> like, oh, what did I get up to last night? I turn around and there's a ferret there. That would have been really bad. But no, no sign of a ferret or anything else. No, no murdered prostitutes No by murdered your side. prostitutes, not last night. Have you checked okay. the boot of your car? Um, not yet. 
Anyway, there's blood everywhere, and I've I've got no visible holes in my body. What? That's no visible holes. That's not. That's fair. Let's move on. Let's get back to ferrets. Let's consult the doctor. I'm worried for you. What what height on your person? It was a bit. It was a bit all over the place, to be honest. A bit all over the place. <laughs> there, was, there were dots. Bled from everywhere. No, but I, I do like shift a duvet around a fair bit while I'm sleeping. Do you sleeping, sleep on nails? So. No. <laughs> yeah, get that sorted. <laughs> Carry on. Okay, so now we've established just how bitey the ferrets are. Yeah. I feel like five and a half hours is quite impressive. Mm. Um, and now we go on to talk about records. In 1972, the ferret legging record stood at 40 seconds. <laughs> a few years later, the record had risen to over one minute and eventually to 90 minutes. In 1977, Edward Simpkins from the Isle of Wight set the new world record of five hours and ten minutes, although he only had one ferret in his trousers during the first four hours and two for the last 70 minutes. It's not even trying. Bullshit, yeah. Why did he... After the four hours, why did he think, yeah, this is great, I can handle this, I'm going to stick another one down there? Is that what happened? (laughs) Yeah, this isn't challenging enough. Ramp it up. Simpkins sustained two large bites during his record-breaking attempt but continued to play a game of darts undeterred. (laughs) What a man. (laughs) Retired miner Reg Meller, if ever a name suited a retired miner, Reg Reg Meller is going to be it, who is from Barnsley, if ever a name suited a man (laughs) from Barnsley, Reg Meller is it, set the new world record of five hours and 26 minutes on the 5th of July 1981 at the annual Pennine Show at Holmfirth in Yorkshire. I don't think you pronounce Homefirth that way, do you? You pronounce it Homefirth. He had practised the sport since his youth, but had received no recognition until he set the world record. Oh, this is a rags to riches. Mm. Uh, there's a biopic in the making here, isn't there? Mm. Sideline until really late in his career. Mella. <laughs> Mella, who had hunted with ferrets in the dales outside Barnsley for many years, had grown accustomed to keeping them in his trousers to keep them warm and dry when working out in the rain. Mella's trick was to ensure that the ferrets were well fed before they were inserted into his trousers. If you have to, that, if you have to use a trick like that... Well, that goes without saying. What you don't want to do is starve your ferret for three days before you <laughs> stick it in there. Or, in the six <laughs> months leading up to you doing it, only feed them penis-shaped food. <laughs> you definitely shouldn't do that. In 1986, Meller attempted to break his own record before a crowd of 2,500 Two spectators. Fucking Barnsley. <laughs> There's not much there to nothing? do there. No, I, I worked in Barnsley for a short while. Did they not even have a Weatherspoons? Um, I didn't see one. I, I saw very little other than uh, dilapidated housing and... Um, Men with really bloody legs. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of bleeding legs. Ferrets everywhere. <laughs> God. The North's a scary place. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a pleasant few weeks. It was a. Uh, no. No, it wasn't. I remember you living up north. Yeah, well, I lived in York. I lived all around Yorkshire. Well, I lived in one place in Yorkshire, but I worked in a, mm. in different job centres around Yorkshire. And um, yeah, they are the most friendly, nice people in the world, Yorkshire folk. I love them. Um, but they do do things like put ferrets up their pants. And pretend that their children have been kidnapped. <laughs> That's a very strange thing to do. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? In 1986, Meller attempted to break his own record before a crowd of two and a half thousand spectators, intending to beat the magic six-hour mark, the four-minute mile of ferret legging. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> 
After five hours, most of the attendees had become bored and left. There's <laughs> only so much you can see. That's the problem, yeah. Workmen arrived to dismantle the stage. There dis- was a stage. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, two and a half thousand people have got to see somehow. Is it In my head, it's just like um, if you're, you imagine someone doing the hula hoop mm. for like five hours. <laughs> That's all I can but see. Without the and then there's blood yeah. everywhere and that angry, <laughs> yeah. angry hissing. Uh, yeah. It's like, I could only handle five minutes there. I don't even like football that much. That's like, 90. Yeah. It's like the Wicker Man or something, isn't it? It is. Yeah. After five hours, most of the attendees had become bored and left. Workman arrived to dismantle the stage, despite Mellor's protest that he was on his way to a new record. According to Adrian Tame of the Sunday Herald Sun, Mellor retired after that experience, disillusioned and broken-hearted, <laughs> but with his dignity and manhood intact. That's something. Oh, yeah. Mellor had hoped to organise an annual national competition held in his hometown of Barnsley and offered a prize of £100 to anyone who could beat him. That's not, not worth £100. <laughs> not enough. I mean, six hours, that's... No. Uh, that's not an hourly rate. To... Yeah. And the, I suppose it's one of those things, if you won that competition, you could put it on your CV. Let's say someone came, you were an employer and someone came into your an interview and said, this was, and this was on their CV. What characteristic would you say that says they're, they're like? What could they bring to the job if their one skill was... Ferret legging. That's the only thing on their CV. <laughs> no, they've got a lot of they've other things. In the personal interest. They put pers- at the top. Personal interest. Ferret legging. Like and they're the best legging. in the country at it. Mm. What would that say to you about that person? Um, a certain tenacity. Mm. They, a go-getting attitude. That they're, they're a winner and that once they've set their sights are, on something they will achieve. <laughs> True. Okay. That and batshit. <laughs> <laughs> Those two things. And they, you know, they're very much in contrast, so I'd have to weigh that up with a second mm. interview, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Bartlett, a, head, a retired headmaster, and Christine Farnsworth broke Mellor's record in 2010. The pair managed five hours and 30 minutes, raising £1,000 for the Whittington Community First Responders. How, how, of the pair, what does that mean? What they'd both got two ferrets, or they were? I think they must have had both. Both had two pa- it's, um, ferrets. It's uh, synchronized ferreting. Would it be worse to have a penis or vagina with a ferret up your trousers? A penis, obviously a penis. Yeah. What if they went up the oh vagina? Oh god, well, that's not going to happen. Why not? Because they're too big. How do you know? It depends. You don't know what Christine Farnsworth like. <laughs> you haven't seen. I think it's all. It's all unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. That's... Yeah. Yeah, okay. Go and play golf or something. Ferret legging has existed for centuries, but the sport made a brief resurgence in popularity during the 1970s. According to a 2005 report published in the English Northern Echo newspaper, whether due to a lack of brave contestants or complaining wives, ferret legging is now a dying sport. Women. <laughs> Typical bloody... We've got one... <laughs> just this little port in a storm, this one thing that brings us happiness, and women want to take it away from us it is so typical of women i think that's what they're getting at there. yeah i think so i think that's what they're saying um <laughs> it's a dying sport that is being replaced by ferret racing so fair enough that, the, that the ferrets are still getting enough definitely although you know <laughs> did you ride the ferret that's one to each foot like a like a set of rollerblades <laughs> okay really dystopian version of Back to the Future too. <laughs> <laughs> ferret legging is a um, ferret racing in which the animals race through a plastic pipe. 
Although the sport is now uncommon, annual competitions were held at the Richmond Highland Games and Celtic Festival in Richmond, Virginia from 2003 through 2009. In 2007, the Manitoba Ferret Association held a ferret legging competition in St Vital Park, Winnipeg to raise money in support of the organisation's shelter for homeless ferrets. Aww. Homeless ferrets. Yeah. Marlene Blackman. Uh, but are you, are you not just a wild animal if you're homeless? <laughs> <laughs> no? Technically, I suppose. But I've never really thought of like homeless people as, look, there's a wild one. There's a wild human over there. <laughs> Don't throw it bread. That's the worst thing you can do. It just blows up in their stomach. <laughs> These are human beings we're talking about. <laughs> Marlene Blackburn, who works with the Ferret Rescue League to ensure that no ferrets are harmed Ferret in the Rescue sport. Ferret Rescue League. <laughs> Unite. Another Marvel outing. <laughs> to ensure that no ferrets are harmed in the sport, claims that during the years the competitions have been held in Richmond, no contestant has ever been bitten, although some may get a few scratches, taking all of the fun out of the game. Yeah, well. Boring. According to Kelly Yeager of the Manitoba Ferret Association, the animals actually like small confined spaces. Jay Luger, <laughs> the spokesman for the Richmond Highland Games and Celtic Festival, said, Ferrets are generally very harmless, fun-loving creatures. Ray- Reg Meller, however, commented that at their very worst, they can be cannibals, things that live <laughs> only to kill, that'll eat your eyes out to get at your brain. Fun-loving. <laughs> <laughs> He really did take it hard when he didn't keep that world record. He did. Although doesn't seem to understand that an animal eating a person isn't cannibalism. But never mind. I'm a fun-loving cannibal. Um, Christopher Borelli of The Blade describes ferret-legging as a remarkable sport in which you get more agony of defeat than thrill of victory. And Lewis Mahoney of the Richmond Times-Dispatch said it is sure to bring a laugh. Cracked listed it as the fifth most baffling sport in the world, and the Atlanta Journal's Scott Bernard commented that anyone who has tried ferret legging will agree that falling off a mountain isn't all that bad. American sports writer Rick Riley of ESPN tried ferret legging as part of his quest to find the world's dumbest sport for a book published in 2010. Mella made a brief appearance in the 1976 television documentary presented by actor and wrestler Brian Glover entitled It's No Joke Living in Barnsley in which he demonstrated ferret legging. It isn't a joke. During his appearance on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno in May 1996, actor Paul Hogan of Crocodile Dundee fame spent much of the interview with Leno talking about ferret legging, which he identified as a new Australian Olympics event. So my selection comes from, was supplied in the post. In the post. In the post. Yep, so we did, I was quite rude about... um, David's letter, the card that he sent us, because it wasn't a postcard. Um, if you'd like to send us a postcard, please do. <laughs> Wikishuffle HQ 1B Headlands Kettering NN157ER. Do send us a postcard. Um, but he sent us a few recommendations in his letter, um, including a rainbow party, um, which is some kind of sexual act. I've not. But we, we, why would we touch something so disgusting? 
No, that's not my one like us at all. We probably would. And also the peppered moth, which I was very close to discussing the peppered moth. We're a big fan of moths on the podcast. Yeah. And about, I'd say, about 19% of articles on Wikipedia are moths. <laughs> about 19%. About 19%. <laughs> so the selection from David that we're going for is John Titor. John Titor. John Titor. Nope, don't know who it is. John Titor is the name used on several bulletin boards during 2000 and 2001 by a poster claiming to be a time traveller from the year 2036. Uh, I have seen this. A time traveller? A time traveller. And he said he was on the internet? Uh-huh. Well, I believe this. <laughs> <laughs> In these posts, Titor made numerous predictions about events in the near future, a number of them vague and some quite specific, Mm. starting with events in 2004. He described a drastically changed future in which the United States had broken up into five smaller regions, the environment and infrastructure had been devastated by nuclear attack, and most other world powers had been destroyed. Oh, God. The first post using John Titor's military symbol, of which there's a picture... So it must be real because he's got a, an insignia. Yeah, exactly. And they appeared on the Time Travel Institute forums on November 2nd, 2000, under the name Time Travel Zero. At that time, John Titor was not being used as a name. The post discussed time travel in general, the first one being the six parts description of what a time machine would need to have to work, and responses to questions about how such a machine would work. Early messages tended to be short. (laughs) The name John Titor was not introduced until January 2001 when Time Travel Zero began posting at the Art Bell BBS forums, which required a name or pseudonym for every account. The Titor posts ended in late March 2001. Eventually, a number of the threads became corrupted, but Titor's posts had been saved on subscribers' hard drives and were copied to anomalies.net, along with with new discussions on the science behind Titor's time-travelling as well as his predictions, and it was later stated in an article that many people are still counting down the days until World War III. Mm. It's a bit scary. It's not. It's all <laughs> blatant bullshit. But you don't know that. As you a, don't know. You haven't been to the future. Yeah, exactly. Have you? John has. Have you? Well, the future he's describing, I've I've lived through quite a lot of it. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but apart apart from that, though, shut up. <laughs> Around 2003, various websites reproduced Titor's posts, rearranging them into narratives. In his ori- I wish people would stop saying the M word. <laughs> In his online postings, Titor claims to be an American soldier from 2036 based in Tampa in Hillsborough County, Florida, who was assigned to a government time travel project. This is the plot to Terminator so far. <laughs> yeah. Purportedly, Tito had been sent back to 1975 mm. to retrieve an IBM 5100 computer. Still which, Terminator. <laughs> which he said was needed to debug various <laughs> legacy computer programs in 2036, a possible reference to the Unix year 2038 problem. The IBM 5100 runs the APL and basic programming languages, all of which are rather well known. And yeah. 
It's just nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. Tito had been selected for this mission specifically given that his paternal grandfather was directly involved with the assembly and programming of the 5100. Tito claimed to be on a stopover in the year 2000 for personal reasons, to collect <laughs> pictures lost in the future civil war and to visit his family, of whom he spoke often. Ah, John. Sentimental man. Yeah. Sentimental time lord. <laughs> Tito also said he had been for a few months trying to alert anyone that would listen about the threat of the Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease spread through beef products <laughs> and about the possibility of civil war within the United States. When questioned about them by an online subscriber, Tito also expressed an interest in mysteries such as UFOs, which remained unexplained in his time. Tito suggested that UFOs and extraterrestrials might be travellers from much further into the future than his own time with superior time machines. That's a good theory. I believe that too. I think E.T. comes before time travel, though, in my head narrative of things to happen. This is my Nostradamus prediction. I think E.T. comes first. Then we get time travel Then we get time travel. Maybe from (laughs) E.T. You can't see my face right now because this is audio, but um, just imagine the most dumbfounded look possible. I'm just saying. And apply that to every face Jack ever pulls. (laughs) The time machine. Tito described his time machine on several occasions. In an early post, he described it as a stationary mass temporal displacement unit powered by two topspin dual positive singularities producing a standard offset Templar synthesoid. There's enough science words there for me to believe that's true. Well, yeah, I can't can't dispute any of those terms. Science. The earliest post was more explicit, saying it contained the following. Two magnetic housing units for dual micro-singularities. Mm-hmm. An electron injection manifold to alter mass and gravity of the micro-singularities. Yeah. A cooling and x-ray venting system. Gonna need that. Gravity sensors or a variable gravity lock. Have you got one? Yeah. yeah. Four, four main cesium clocks and three main computer units. According to the Post, the device was installed in the rear of a 1967 <laughs> Chevrolet oh, for Corvette. For sake. And Come later on. moved to a 1987 <laughs> truck having four-wheel drive. Okay, ma- now we've reached the point where I am a bit more sceptical. <laughs> Just now. Yeah, <laughs> and some crazy doctor with white hair and glasses was... Yeah, driving no. a car from the future. Tito claimed that the Everett Wheeler model of quantum physics, better known as the many worlds interpretation, was correct. I have a problem with this particular theory. The many worlds one? You know the one, don't you? This idea that every possible outcome is going, yeah. and that the universe fractures at every decision yeah, that's made, and that there's an... It doesn't make any sense. No, none of it does. It doesn't bear witness from probability and things mm-hmm. happening, because if everything that can happen does happen equally then there'd be yeah. an infinite versions of this conversation where... From little uh, things like me being over there to you being a pig. Yeah, that's, yeah there, that's there'd what be it as is, many of it? those. Yeah. There'd be as, as many instances of a pink elephant falling through this room right now as there is where it doesn't happen. But we that's do live in a world where daddy long legs are a thing. That's um, true. That's I suppose there are some weird stuff that's, that's pretty going weird. on. Yeah. This Ferret is legging. <laughs> Ferret legging. That's pretty weird. If we hadn't heard of that, we'd have been saying, that's insane. No way has that ever happened. 
The model posits that every possible outcome of a quantum decision actually occurs in a separate universe. Tito stated that this was the reason the grandfather paradox would not occur. Following the logic of the argument, Tito would be killing a different John Tito's grandfather in a timeline other than his own. Mm. Convenient. Mm Mm-hmm. Predictions now gather round. Let's see, yeah, because we're in a fortunate position here where we are from the future. We are in the future in, right now, yep. Okay, so how much what you so far? said came true, yeah. But when people are listening to this, what we're saying will be in the past. Oh, hey, you ever think about that? Blown exactly. Oh. Some stuff that happens now is present and then it's past instantly, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's history. I, I mean, I agree, yeah. So, what are you going to do about it? I wouldn't like to work in time travel. I don't know, but I think it involves... Time travel agency. (laughs) I can handle it. It's too much. The most immediate of Tito's predictions was an upcoming civil war in the United States having to do with order and rights. Specific. Nice and vague. He described it as beginning in 2004 with civil unrest surrounding the presidential election of that year. Uh, Nah, didn't really happen. It nearly did. There's been some unrest. Well, there's always unrest. There's unrest, yeah, in America. There's of unrest now. Yeah. I'm unrested. Are you unrested? I, I think there's a civil unrest about to happen. Now, well, in the room. In this... the room. <laughs> <laughs> Not another one. <laughs> I thought we'd stopped all of our bickering. <laughs> this civil conflict he characterised as having a Waco-type event every month that steadily gets worse. So is it a Waco-type event that you think might happen in this room? Exactly. A That's Waco what I'm predicting. Um, it will be pretty much at everyone's doorstep and erupts by 2008. As a result of the war, the United States splits into five regions based on various factors and differing military objectives. This civil war, according to Tito, will end in 2015 with a brief but intense World War Three. Now, there's still time for a brief but intense yeah, World War Three. There is. That can happen. But the other stuff hasn't happened yet. Tito refers to the exchange as N-Day. Washington, D.C. and Jacksonville, Florida Florida are specifically mentioned as being hit. After the war, Omaha, Nebraska is the new U.S. capital. I like how World War III, <laughs> World War III is very, very much America. America's yeah, it's just America. Uh, yeah. uh, like the, the World Series in baseball. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, this is the World War now, this is ours. No one from outside America can get involved in this World War. This is my World War. Um, also, Washington, D.C. is here, fair enough. Jacksonville. Who gives a fuck about Jacksonville? Probably, I don't know. Apart from people from Jacksonville. Yeah. Even then, I'm not sure. And then, so, okay, so Washington, D.C. goes down, but then Omaha, Nebraska is going to be the new capital. Seems unnecessary. Is there not a, you know, maybe a New York or, you know, San Francisco or Seattle or somewhere that would fill in? No, Omaha. No, no, Nebraska. Cold. Omaha, Nebraska. Cold, snow. Tito's a fucking idiot. Tito is vague as to the exact motivations and causes for World War III. At one point, he characterises the hostilities as being led by border clashes and overpopulation, but also points to the present conflict between Arabs and Jews as not a cause, but rather a milestone that precedes World War III. Well, the conflict between Arabs and Jews is... It's pretty long. ...is something that is a milestone that precedes pretty much every bit of history in modern history. (laughs) So it's not exactly a wild stretch. 
Tito claimed that as a 13-year-old in 2011, he fought with the Fighting Diamondbacks, a shotgun infantry out of Florida, for at least four years. However, in other posts, he described himself as hiding from the war. Hiding shotguns. And also, this is very much something I can imagine thinking when I was 13, as would think a really good film. Although, as an adult, I'd probably watch it and think, this is a really good film. But at 12, I'd write it. (laughs) (laughs) All of the following predictions are of events said to have occurred in John Tito's original world line. The posts were met with scepticism when they were being posted. Good. But it was impossible to prove beforehand that predicted events would not happen. That's no reason to believe them. (laughs) Even then, because Tito claimed the many worlds interpretation of quantum physics was correct, effectively meaning that his travel was from a parallel universe and that things could occur differently than he had predicted, the details he presented were unfalsifiable. It's a handy trick, I suppose. Mm-hmm. One of Tito's earliest assertions was that CERN would discover the basis of time travel sometime around 2001 with the creation of miniature black holes about half a year after his departure. This did not occur. An article, occur- <laughs> <laughs> An article occurring generally around the time he had predicted about miniature black holes being created at CERN, a recurring theme also described to Fermilab and Brookhaven at various times, was taken by some to be evidence of this claim, but these events did not occur either. <laughs> Civil war did not break out after the 2004 presidential election, nor did conflicts or military involvement in 2012. Tito also unambiguously claimed that the last Olympics would occur in 2004. Hmm. That's, well, definitely that's definitely not true. Because we've um, seen with them. Yeah. Which one was London? 2012. 2012. Oh, it was good, wasn't it? It was really good. I thought I'd hate it, but I didn't hate it. Same. Yeah. It was great. I loved it. Um, I love swimming. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't watched any swimming since. No. <laughs> Great chat. <laughs> Great reminiscence about <laughs> that time I watched swimming once. There's a big bit now about the problems with the technology. Okay. I don't I don't want to share them with you because obviously there's problems with the technology because yeah. none of this happened. Skip I'm skipping it. I'm skipping it all. Um problems with the story numerous commentators have pointed out the the extensive similarities between the titor story and pat frank's classic post-apocalyptic science fiction novel alas babylon among other similarities alas babylon takes place in a small riverside town in florida just before and after a nuclear war and describes the struggle to survive as a family in the aftermath in the book the protagonist lives in the fictional town of fort repose while titor claimed to live in the fort formerly the university of florida the problem he's got, because this man is obviously he's a big, big liar. <laughs> uh, he's like one of the big ones. No, not the big one. You know what I mean? Um, when you're gonna make up your fake fiction, don't fake use fiction. Yep. Don't use something. You know what I mean? Don't use something that's considered classic to be the basis of your theories, because I don't think that's gonna fool everyone. And clearly, he hasn't fooled everyone. I read another article recently about what I mean. I would describe this as a small scale. Um, liar i read an mm. article about the foundation of the mormon church that's oh. a big oh lie. yeah <laughs> and the similarities in the story there with a work of fiction from a couple of years <laughs> earlier which is quite something yeah. and now i'm going to check if we have any listeners in utah utah salt Lake city mm. oh, this again. have you seen that yeah book of mormon no oh 
it's brilliant. We've had in the last ten weeks, we've had six downloads from Salt Lake City. So you've just offended some Mormons, my friend. Not necessarily. They could be looking for an out. We could be helping some Mormons. That's true. If you would like to escape the Mormon church, uh, send us a postcard. <laughs> Headlands 1B. Uh, Kettering, I don't know. NN157ER. There you go. Um, please do, because you're going to need some new friends, because you're going to be ostracised from all your, by all your yeah. friends and all family. All of your family are going to kick you out and hate you forever. Yeah, um, but that's not a reason to not do it. Mm. No. You're better off without them. Mm. We will be your friends. Jesus yeah. never came to America, uh, because that's insane. The internal consistency of Tito's story has been questioned. I would imagine yeah. so. For instance, in some posts, he claims that money is widely used and people still have credit cards, despite his statement that centralised banking no longer exists. Mm. That's a problem. In another posting, he speculated that today's dollar would be usable in his time, but that this would be after the reorganisation of the federal government, according to his own history, potentially making the currency as worthless as the Confederate dollar. If you're looking for holes in this story, you mm. don't need to go into that level of detail. Just apply a little common sense. So it's basically all bullshit. Yeah. But it's it's quite a nice little story of how the internet is stupid yeah. mm-hmm. and the people consuming the internet are stupid. Yeah. Yes, this, listeners. Didn't, this didn't convince me. <laughs> that's, that's, that is, that's, yeah. that's very true and you're the litmus can... test for all bullshit internet stories <laughs> get you and Carl Pilkington in a room and you can discuss <laughs> <laughs> the validity of all of this stuff <laughs> Chris if you went to the future yeah. what bit of the future would you like to go to if you went to the future mm. I'd like to go to the year 3015 okay Oh, and just see See what your great 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 granddaughter looks like. Pretty fit, I've heard. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what. It's I all pretty say. much the same, but we do live underwater. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'd like to see that for myself. Yeah. And I'd play the busted song to them and say, "This is what we listen to." And then I would call myself <laughs> on the internet and say, "I'm a time traveller." And then I was embusted. I was embusted, and I would claim to be married to that one that used to do Big Brother, Emma Willis. Yeah. Mm. And I'd live my days like that. I knew that. <laughs> See, even when given an opportunity to, to live in the future, you still end up marrying Emma Willis. <laughs> right, glad we cleared that up. Okay. Well, there we have it. Another bonus episode, you mm. lucky people. Uh, it was really fun to do. Thank you to everybody who contributed. And we were a little worried that we wouldn't get any responses. But you excelled yourselves. And like we said, we have got other stuff in the in the can there. I think what we'll do is generally just throw the gauntlet open to people. Just keep on sending. If you find any interesting Wikipedia articles, send them to us. We find stuff that becomes interesting to us. We'll do this sort of semi-regularly, having yeah. these bonus episodes of things that you've suggested because there's some gold there that we're never going to hit just by hitting the random article button, and it would be nice to feature that. And it means that you can get involved. My least favourite phrase. Get involved. Get involved. Oh, I hate that so much, but please do get involved. Get involved. <laughs> We, so, need, we need some content. We, yeah, we, we don't. We've got six million articles worth <laughs> of content enough. that we can delve into. But yeah, pointing us in a direction is always fun. And we get to hear from you, and it's always nice to hear from you. And so that's all good. Here's will... Some people have said some lovely things this week. They have. And it's, it's quite encouraging. And we've had no hate mail. Don't say that. So far. Yeah, don't invite hate mail. I would like a bit of hate mail. You, well, if you're going to do hate mail, direct it that way. In fact, I get enough hate mail from you, to be that's honest. That's true. Yeah. Uh, actually, do you want me to just up my quota? 
<laughs> no, you you're all right. <laughs> you're okay, mate. <laughs> right, so we'll get another one out soon. There's That's not, all we can say. There's not really an outlet for criticism of podcasts, is there? There's not like a podcasting points of view. There should be. Oh, should we do that? Should we scrap this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get people That's to an idea. Write in and complain about the bits of podcasting they didn't agree with. Yeah. Podcast Roundup. I find Mark Maron very self-indulgent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Until either a new episode comes out or bonus a new bonus appears. episode comes out. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Can you pass my baps? <laughs> Thank you. Will this give you energy? Yeah. Okay. Oh, you're one of those people that uses tinfoil instead of cling film. Interesting. Cling film. Also, it lowers your sperm count. You don't eat the Not cling really film. a problem with no intention of having children. Well, okay. That's fine, but also it's that... nice to have a lot of sperm, isn't it? How does it lower your sperm Well, no, sperm I think count? it's not the, the volume of fluid, it's just the amount of sperms. Yeah, but if you're ever to like look under a microscope, it'd be cool to see them all swim about. So you don't. You'll still like, see some. You don't like, want too many. They'll get in each other's way. Just wandering around with their beards going. <laughs> what, you haven't said what cling. I don't eat cling film. So how does it affect? It apparently, when you get cling film near your food, you get less sperm. Yeah, okay. That's what I've read. Yeah. Well, I'm reading. <laughs> <laughs> about what I'm reading I, no, I'm right sorry. Now. I read this in a research pamphlet by Bakofoil. And they were very thorough about the dangers of cling film. So, hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.